Welcome to Witch and Goddess. I'm your host, Patty Black. I'm a witch, a teacher, and priestess. Goddess devotion is an essential part of my craft, and many goddesses are my cohorts in magic. Each episode, we explore a different goddess, her lore, and how to connect with her energetically and magically. Welcome to another episode of Witch and Goddess. Thank you for listening, sharing, and supporting this work and the Divine Feminine. This is our second episode of Season 2, and I am so excited to introduce my main lady, Morgan Le Fay. I've been enchanted by Morgana for nearly 30 years, but I've only included her in my witchcraft and goddess life within the past five years. It seems like such a shame, but I truly believe that she has had her hand in the timing and that it somehow suits her purposes and plans perfectly. Morgan Le Fay is very well known as a fictional figure from Arthurian legend. She's not widely recognized as a goddess. I was introduced to her, like so many others, through the stories of her legendary half-brother, King Arthur of Camelot. I grew to see her as a legendary figure when I read The Mists of Avalon by Marion Zimmer Bradley as a teenager. It's a fictional work that tells the stories of the women of Arthur's legends. Morgaine is the central character, and her story involves the Isle of Avalon and the strong sisterhood of priestesses who dwell there. Like many other readers of this book, I was enchanted by the world of mist, magic, and mostly Morgaine, or Morgan. My paperback copy was about as thick as a Bible. Honestly, I think it's bigger. It's worn and dog-eared because I carried it from class to class and read it during any spare moments. I still have that much-loved copy. So this inspired my love for the character Morgana, and thereafter, any film or television show about King Arthur or Camelot, no matter how cheesy or poorly done, drew me in, especially in the hopes of a few scenes involving Morgan Le Fay. When I began practicing witchcraft a few years later, I was enamored by the concept of female deities. I poured through many a goddess guide, hoping to find my perfect match. Even then, I had an image in mind, and she resembled the elusive Morgana. But because she didn't appear in any of the books I was exploring, I believed she wasn't a goddess. I was under the mistaken impression that a witch's gods had to come from the tried-and-true lists of Celtic, Greek, Roman, or Egyptian pantheons that were very common in books about paganism in the late 90s. Sometime in the last 10 years, I came across a few brief mentions of other witches who worked with her as a goddess. I was intrigued, but couldn't find any resources or additional information. I was still laboring under the idea that I needed validation from a proper authority that Morgan was a goddess I could revere and work with. Luckily, I happened across an article by Demelza Fox about Morgan Le Fay as a goddess for witches. I'll link some articles from Demi in the episode notes. And that was the permission or validation I'd been looking for. I didn't strictly need it, but that's another conversation. So Demi and her courses were amazing resources and guides to finally beginning to build this relationship with Morgana. Seriously, everything I learned to begin my work with Morgan Le Fay as a goddess, I learned from Demelza Fox. And she remains the single best source for students of Morgan. Demi's courses teach in-depth about several different aspects of Morgan Le Fay. She's the High Priestess, a sister with a capital S, the Enchantress, the Queen, a healer, 
and a goddess of shadows. And there are more. She's a shape-shifting, elusive, and transformative spirit, rarely revealing her cards. The first tangible origins of Morgana are found in literature. We meet her in Vita Merlini, The Life of Merlin, a collection of Welsh and English myths rewritten by Geoffrey of Monmouth around 1150. Her earliest depictions are as an enchanting, well-educated, and magically skilled woman. Geoffrey of Monmouth characterizes her as a famous healer and the most powerful of nine sisters who rule Avalon. In Vita Merlini, Morgan's healing powers are paramount, but she also has the abilities of flight and shape-shifting, highly magical traits that she seems to naturally possess. Throughout later retellings, she took on heightened qualities of sensuality and sexual allure, but she remained a mostly good, or at least neutral, character. She was consistently written as a sorceress and a great healer, and generally highly independent, with few fucks to give. It was Thomas Mallory's depictions in The Death of Arthur from 1485 that began to assign her malevolent qualities. This is the root of a lot of the more evil and even monstrous depictions of Morgana in pop culture today. Likewise, the magical skill that she naturally bore in early works was beginning to be described as evil, that it had to be acquired, and this appears to be consistent with the expectations of the strict church of the times that magic and female power were unnatural, evil, not to be trusted. But what about Merlin? He's a good guy, wizard, sorcerer, always waving his wand about. I wonder why his magic is okay. What, oh what, could the difference be? This part used to bum me the fuck out. Just another example of powerful men keeping a good woman down devaluing or downright demonizing her if she doesn't fit neatly into their narrow parameters of an acceptable woman. And that's true. But given the choice, I choose Morgana with her edges, her virtue, and her evil, because she becomes a much more relatable goddess. Here she is, her shadow traits on full display, teaching me the value and power in honoring the obvious virtues and the challenging parts. The power in shadow integration. And I don't think she continues to appear as a villain by accident. She wants us to confront challenging expressions of femininity. So what are Morgan Le Fay's virtues? What else can she teach us? Where to begin? I won't be able to cover everything in one episode, so you know what that means. At least a two-part series. Let's start today with her very nature as a liminal and transformational goddess. Morgan Le Fay is the Lady of Avalon, a place hidden just beyond the veil, out of time, a place of mists, shorelines, and sacred waters. She's found, if at all, in the places and times between, not quite one thing or the other. Even then, she's mysterious only revealing as much of herself or her plans as she feels is necessary. She dwells in the moments of transformation, always on the verge of becoming, changing and shifting just like her mists. It's liberating, really, to see a goddess embrace inconsistencies and contradictions. We are allowed to be spiritual and bitchy, loving and angry, horny and pure, 
Not only does she encourage our moment-to-moment shifts, but she's there urging us towards deeper transformation and new expression. One of Morgan's ruling themes over and over is the pursuit or reclamation of her power. Whether it's represented by a crown or throne, she is a woman who wants to lead, who expresses her sovereignty in a world that continuously denies it. She wants to see us ruling our own realms, however that looks. So be assured that the transformation she has in mind will ultimately lead to the most empowered you. One of the key ways she creates these deep transformations is by showing up as a goddess of the underworld, one who escorts us on the journey to confront our shadow selves. Your conscious self, the day-to-day version of you who shows up at work or to your family, the part of you who thinks up appropriate sentences and then speaks them, that you is just the package, which contains a whole lot more of you. The hidden part is vast, instinctual, feelings without words, and it determines a lot more of your life than you might realize. This part of you is motivated by desires that daytime you does not understand. Your shadow wants to experience lots of things that daytime you does not. Your shadow also wants to protect you. And sometimes that manifests as self-sabotaging behavior. The good news is that Morgan speaks the language of your shadow. She's fluent, and she is all too happy to swim around in that dark ocean because she knows a secret. A huge portion of your power is down there, just waiting for you to claim it, to name it, as a legitimate and valued part of yourself. Think of it this way. Part of you wants some very obvious things, success, love, harmonious relationships. But believe it or not, there are parts of your being that are actively working against those goals. When your will is divided, it's hard to get shit done. And what about your magic? It can't be fully effective when part of you is not on board with the intended outcome. Morgan wants you to party with your shadow because that bitch is powerful. You need to be working together. Until you swim in those depths, until you see exactly what's lurking there, your power is fractured. I'm not going to go in depth about shadow work here. There are many wonderful techniques and methods, but it's a continuous process. If you'd like to know more, I offer one-on-one shadow excursions with my mentorship sessions, which you can find about on my website. So, Patty. She's clearly a literary character, but what's your case for Morgan Le Fay as a goddess? Why, I'm so glad you asked. Remember Vita Merlini? Morgana's very presence there indicates that she was already a pretty major figure in Celtic legends, so people were aware of her pre-1150. In addition, there's a seemingly obvious connection between Morgan and Irish goddess, the Morgan. Apart from the similarity in names, They're both shape-shifting goddesses of magic, with a connection to crows. Upon closer look, the names may not be linked. Morgan means seaborn, and Morgan means great queen or phantom queen. Side note, apparently Le Fay was a title denoting magical women in medieval times, and it may not necessarily be an indication of fairy status. But Morgana is Celtic, super magical, and the queen of the magical Isle of Avalon. She's still got major fairy street cred, and associations. 
Back to the tricky subject of Morgan Le Fay and the Morgan, some people believe them to be different faces of the same goddess, others not so much. But there could be connections in their earlier roots. Morgana and the Morgan both have been connected to the Welsh mother goddess, Madron. There are familial similarities between Morgan and Madron, including that both were married to uh, King Urians, and both bore a son named Owain. In addition, Madron and Morgan have been linked to the same father, King Aphelac of Avalon. Personally, I think it's likely that Morgana and the Morgan had roots in an early goddess, possibly Madron, or an even earlier version, and then each evolved, traveling to different regions and taking on different qualities and myths throughout centuries, eventually becoming their own distinct deities. Is a historically verified goddess cult what determines the relevance and legitimacy of a spirit? I don't think so. Look at Morgan's legacy. She's been played and interpreted in over 120 films, television shows, and video games in the last century. And that isn't even counting the books novels because, well, it would take all night. Her portrayals swing between good and evil natured, but she's almost always magical strong-willed and intelligent. Even her more neutral depictions frame her as too much of something or the other, too sexual, too power-hungry, too selfish. I think Morgan continues to allow herself to be characterized in these ways to show us. Look at what they don't want you to be. Here is everything the establishment says you're not allowed to embody. Are you going to take that? She just keeps popping up in media, ready to inspire more and more of us into rebellion. And when I say us, I'm not just talking about women and girls. All people are hurt and damaged by patriarchy every day. All humans benefit from challenging this structure. And I think that is a very powerful and relevant role. One worth celebrating and elevating. Most recently, we see one of the most extreme versions of an evil portrayal of the goddess. Morgan Le Fay is present as the ultimate villainess of the film, The Kid Who Would Be King, in which she vows to enslave humanity and somehow end all life on Earth. The two goals seem contradictory to me, but you can't say she doesn't dream big. In one of the climactic scenes, we see her among the smoke and flames of the destruction she wrought, transformed into a hideous winged beast complete with a leathery tail. Now, we're familiar with Satan as the prince of evil, the worst of the worst, etc. But Satan actually means adversary, or God's adversary, the opposer. It is a necessary role, necessary to advance a storyline, necessary to advance a character's development. There would be no story, no achievement for any of us without resistance. I think that Morgana, like Lilith and Satan, have all played similar roles of adversary to the church and to patriarchy. Hence, their continued and increasing depictions as bad, evil, and finally monstrous. Morgana and Lilith challenge the church's ultimate goal to keep followers, especially women, meek and obedient. So they've been used as a warning, a terrifying example of what an independent and powerful woman becomes. Of course, we witches have our special patriarchy decoder glasses with which we can see exactly what we're looking at. 
the wet nightmare of men in power, simultaneously terrified and thrilled by the prospect of losing their power over. So, can we say once and for all that Morgan Le Fay is a proper and legitimate goddess? There's no proof that she was historically revered as a goddess. There's no evidence of temples in her name. Was she worshipped under another name? A slightly different identity? Very possibly. But the lack of an intact paper trail hasn't kept her from showing up as a powerful guide and ally for me. It hasn't stopped her from teaching me and my fellow Morgan devotees about our own magical nature, how to embrace our rebellious tendencies and use them for our own purposes, or about the power of exploring and celebrating our shadow traits. I know the seemingly contradictory nature of goddess origins, coexisting as one and another, the same but not, can feel like it's breaking your brain. What I would say is, yes, just yes, the goddess can and does exist in myriad places and legends and roles all at once. Her presence in one place with a slightly different face, name, or set of attributes does not negate her presence in another. Say yes to the fullness of all of these possibilities, all of this magic. You do believe in magic, right? And if not, Morgan can help you believe. What I keep coming back to is that over the last thousand years, she has continued to appear in books, film, television, art, and more. Her energy and spirit are woven throughout our timelines. Even in so-called negative portrayals, she is a source of feminine badassery. She brings the energy of an independently powerful, sexual, and magical woman to a world that seems to prefer women as merely nice and pretty. Once an aspect of her character is encountered in media, she has a way of living on in one's mind, an activated archetype. I think that she is one of the best-kept secrets of the goddess world. What's it like to work with her? To me, Morgana is not a goddess who wants me to sit down, shut up, and let her drive. She absolutely has ideas and plans for her followers. She's always present, watching, and suggesting paths and actions. But ultimately, it's my choice. And she very much allows me to make discoveries for myself. In my life, Morgan acts as a subtle teacher. A guide who walks alongside me, not ahead. And highlights what I need to see. What I need to know. When I ask her to come closer or invite her to be more present, she's very responsive. As a sister priestess of Morgana, I am of service to her, to her energy. I do my best to be a channel for her special brand of magic to flow into our world, because I believe we need more of it. She often nudges me towards specific ways of achieving that. For example, if you enjoy this podcast, you can thank Morgan. It was her idea. And even though I never imagined myself creating a podcast, I think of this as a big part of my priestess work now. She's not a goddess who demands a lot of specific offerings, but I do feel a surge in her presence when I leave something. She really seems to appreciate a clean and pretty shrine or altar. I've always given her a devoted space, 
even if it's just a dedicated spot on a dresser or nightstand. Now, I love her underworld and mysterious aspects, and a shrine for her could absolutely be decorated with crow feathers and dark colors, but mine always tends towards silver, white, violet, and gray colors. Opalescent finishes and sparkly crystals seem to please her. I leave apples. Avalon is the Isle of Apples. Dried herbs like lavender, yarrow, rosemary, or mugwort. And I have a pretty thrifted goblet where I always have fresh water for her. As a lunar goddess, she's connected to Monday, and the number nine is sacred to her. Any crystals that are purple, blue, white, gray, or related to the moon are appropriate, as are things that are black and connected to shadows, the underworld, or crows. She's a watery lady, so items related to lakes, the sea, even mermaids suit her. I find her very connected to the natural landscape and forests, so in addition to my indoor shrine, there's a little hollow next to the roots of my favorite tree, where I leave flowers, little shells, and pour libations for her. There's so much more to love about Morgan Le Fay, so I'll save that for a later episode. If you're fired up about Morgana, do check out the articles by Demi Fox linked in the show description, or you can connect with Demi through her Facebook page, Rockstar Priestess. As always, thank you for listening. May you realize the goddess within and express her without. How does she show up for you? How do you experience her? How are you called to her? You can leave voice messages with your experiences of the goddesses I have covered, or general questions and comments about the intersection of goddess work and witchcraft. It's easy to record a voice message for me by going to the Witch and Goddess page on anchor.fm. You'll see a little plus sign icon with the word message. Let me know at the beginning if you'd like me to include the message in an episode. Then just click that baby and talk to me. If you enjoy this show, please subscribe and share this podcast with fellow magical people. You can directly support this show by visiting the Witch and Goddess page at anchor.fm and clicking that support button. Follow the show on Instagram at Witch and Goddess Pod, or find my program's classes and groups at blackbirdmagic.com, on Facebook at Blackbird Magic, or email me at witchandgoddesspod at gmail.com.